Well, I do want to welcome uh, those of you that are guests today and echo what Ronnie mentioned earlier. It is Father's Day, and we're so grateful for those of you that are dads that are here in the room today. We want to honor you, and God had a very specific role and purpose for placing fathers in the lives of children and in the home, whether that's nuclear or whether that is underneath a roof with children that they can impact and want God's best for. And so we want to honor you and say happy Father's Day to you. Uh, I also want to acknowledge that when I say that, some of you may feel like that's awkward for me because my, my dad doesn't live here or my dad is no longer alive or maybe there's somebody in the room that the relationship you have with your dad is, is not what you had wanted it to be or wished it would be. Um, the reason I acknowledge that is I want, to, I want to acknowledge both those things. We want to honor fathers and we also want to acknowledge that there are some of us that we still long and pray for that to be reconciled in a way we wish it would. Now, I don't want to be naive or gloss over that. Uh, But one of the things I'm so mindful of is that when the Bible uses the word father, it's God's attempt to show people that he desires a relationship with us. And because he's perfect and he's trustworthy and he's always good, he's always going to do what's in the best interest of the thing that he loves relentlessly, and that's us. So what that word means is someone who has your best interest at mind, who knows you best and loves you most. So we want to hold that up and we want to value that. And we do. We want to pray for the dads that are in our congregation. We want to pray for the men that are in our congregations that may become dads one day. We want to pray for the little boys that are in our preschool and children's ministry that one day they will grow up to be godly men and godly husbands and godly fathers. Um, And I'm also well aware that the Bible says the Lord is a God of redemption and restoration. So if you have a relationship with your dad where you feel comfortable to reach out and you haven't done so today, text call, whatever way that looks. Uh, If you don't feel comfortable with that, uh, lean into that and tell the Lord what you're thinking and feeling. Uh, For the dads, if you long for a relationship with your child and you don't have what you wish you did, uh, it's never too late to become the man of God that you might have been. So pray and tell the Lord that. Repent of decisions or choices or say, Lord, I just, as much as it's up to me, I'm going to want your best for my daughter, for my son. And then be involved in their life as much as they will allow you to. Uh, But the Bible says, one of the minor prophets said, the Lord is able to restore what the locusts have eaten and have stolen. He's a God of redemption. So let's pray for all those things and honor mothers and fathers and God and the family that he's placed us in. We're so grateful that you're here on this specific Sunday. We want to continue worshiping through reading God's word. And so if you have a Bible with you, we always put the scripture on the screen We're going to be in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And so uh, we worship through singing. Oftentimes that warms our hearts and the lyrics of those songs prepare us to make much of the character and the nature of God. We worship through prayer where we talk and listen to God. We also worship through the proclaiming or the public reading of God's word when we're together. And so we're going to do that today. And one of the ways we worship is to show God that we are in awe of him and that he's God and we are not. And so we consistently stand in honor of God's word. And so if you would join me in standing right now, we're going to acknowledge to God that he's here in this place. We desire for him to speak in a way that his spirit will help us understand as we read this text And then I'm going to pray after I read this passage that the Lord would give us ears to hear what he wants to communicate to each of us this morning. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17. God's word tells us that he, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. He is before all things, 
and by him all things hold together. Jesus, who is God, has created all things. They were created by him, for him, and Jesus holds all things together. This is the word of the Lord, and I'm going to ask him to give us ears to hear as he speaks to us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear as you speak to us in this moment? For the woman or the man in this room that needs to hear clearly from you, that desires to or doesn't even know they need to, but you're desperately pursuing them, would you allow them to be convicted, to be challenged, their attention to be arrested in a way where you say, I am here and I am real and I desire to know you. And I pray that you would give us the boldness and the faith and the courage to respond and believe that you're exactly who you say you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, when you talk about creation and you talk about how things came to be from a Christian perspective or a faith-based perspective, we often start with God himself. We worship a triune God. And what we mean by that, the word Trinity does not show up in Scripture but the word trinity or triune, is a, it's a doctrinal word that helps us kind of get handles on how God reveals himself to us. There is God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God manifesting himself in three persons. We often think of God the Father as being the primary agent of creation. But here, Paul tells the church in Colossae, he tells the church at Avenue South, that it's Jesus, verse 15, Jesus is the exact image or representation of the God that we cannot see, and everything, verse 16, was created by Jesus. Everything in heaven and on earth, everything that's visible and that's invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now, Paul tells us something here that is worship worthy. And what that means is when we show up on Sunday mornings, what we do on Sundays is we come into this place, even when we don't feel like it, even when life has kicked us in the teeth, even when it's hard to get out of bed in the morning, we come into this place because through every element of worship and our corporate experience here, God reminds us that he is our God and that we are his people and that he loves us and he will never leave us or forsake us. And so Jesus is God. In this place, then we turn around and we respond to him. You are God, and we worship you for who you are. Jesus is God, and that fact alone means that he is supreme, that he is worthy of our worship, that Jesus is God. But not only that, his supremacy or centrality to all things in life is only amplified by the reality that he was instrumental in creation. It wasn't just God the Father creating. It was Jesus himself It was the agent of God to bring about all that we see and all that we can experience. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word, Jesus, was with God, and Jesus was God. He is God. And Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that Jesus brought about the heavens and the earth, and all that we see, the universe of things, and all that we can't see, Jesus has brought those things into existence. The Latin phrase for how Jesus brought those things into existence is often said ex nihilo, 
out of nothing. Jesus created everything out of nothing. Now, that's pretty powerful. That's pretty supreme. That's pretty authoritative to bring about all that we see out of nothing. That's the power and the ability that Jesus has. So when we show up on Sunday, we worship him, even reading this text right now, we say there's no one like you and you are God because we couldn't do that, but you could. So you're the creator and we're the created. So we worship him for that. John 1.3 says, all things were created through Jesus and apart from him, there's not one thing that's created that did not find its source or its origin in him. And so the goal of creation is to remind us that we are, and the goal of creation, everything we see, humanity itself, is to remind us that from the beginning, we have always been completely dependent upon Jesus for our existence. If Jesus hadn't brought us into this moment, we would not be here. Creation and humanity have always, since the beginning, been completely dependent upon Jesus for their existence. We are completely and utterly dependent. Now, hold that thought for just a minute. For most of us, one of the goals, we talk about it's Father's Day, and for most of us, what we try to do with the next generation is we try to help them become independent. We are not, Amy and I are not raising our children to keep them for 40 or 50 or 60 years. We are raising them to become independent and make wise choices and to lovingly push them out of the nest and to say, see you later. We long for that. We look forward to that. It'll be a sad moment, but it's something that we are in trying to do. And any parent would truly want, who loves their child, would want them to become dependent, independent, stand on their own two feet. So put that together next to, from the beginning, we have been totally and completely dependent upon Jesus for our existence. As a people, we should be and are totally and completely dependent upon Jesus now for everything that we need for wisdom, for discernment, for guidance, for provision. We prayed over a team just a moment ago that's going to the mission field. We prayed for spiritual protection. We are dependent upon God. There is spiritual warfare when people go into areas where the enemy knows these people are going to be introducing other humans to the one true God who can save them from their sin and redeem their past and give them a hopeful future. They will face spiritual warfare. We are praying, and many of you are experiencing it right here in Nashville, we are praying that God would protect and provide for this team. Do something that we can't do for them or for ourselves. We are dependent upon you. But in life, many of us are taught, be independent. Be your own person. And so that rubs up against our dependence upon Jesus. And it's actually very healthy to be totally and completely dependent on Jesus. For many of us, he brings us to our knees through sickness or illness or some loss of job or a loss of relationship where there's nobody to trust but Jesus. And you find that sometimes when Jesus is all you have, you realize, you truly realize, you don't want anything else. Because when you only have Jesus, sometimes Jesus is all you need. And it is like water to a thirsty soul. We have always been dependent upon Jesus. God wants us to be dependent upon him because it's when we ask him to do what he alone can do, it's when he's honored. God loves to show off and reveal his character, his sovereignty, his provision, his faithfulness. He doesn't know how to fail. So the Bible tells us that all things are created by him and they are completely dependent upon him. And not only that, Paul went on to say in verse 17 that he holds all things together. He holds all things together. I remember watching um, and the Avengers Infinity War and watching it with the kids and, and seeing those characters. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's been out for a while. So if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, cover up your ears. But at the end of the movie, when those guys just disintegrate and float into the atmosphere and they just cease to exist, 
That doesn't happen to us right now. That doesn't happen to the mountains and the streams and the rivers and the things we see. Like Jesus literally holds everything that's been created in its proper alignment, and he holds it together right now. That's the sustaining power of God. Now, why does that matter today on this Sunday? Why does that matter that Paul would tell these Christians that? Because for some of us, our lives are dictated by instability and chaos. Culture is shifting sand. You can make all the right decisions that you think you should make, and somebody else does something. Or something changes politically or culturally, and you feel like you don't have your bearings. One of my pet peeves is when you're in a car and you go over speed bumps and it just throws your body everywhere. I cannot stand when I can't control my person, okay? And I can't stand that. And how many of us feel that way in life, right? Somebody made a decision, it rocked your world. You made a decision that you regret, rocked your world, okay? Here's the deal. You can be confident that God is stable. He is steady. He not only created you, made you, but he can hold your life together. Praise you, Jesus, for being able to do for me what I can't do for myself. That's why he is a refuge for those in trouble. That's why we run to him when we need his counsel, when we need him to stabilize our lives. So if you're here this morning and your life is swirling around you and you're just looking for somebody to reach in and pull you out of the storm, guess what? Jesus does that too. There's stories in the Bible where he told us the wind and the waves to cease and be still, and he reached out and he saved people. He can do that for you. That is the supreme and central power of Christ in creation that's at work in 2019. You need to hold on to that. Let that be a, a soft pillow to lay your head on at night, that truth to minister to you. And so he holds all things together. In the book of Acts, Luke said this, In Jesus we live and we move and we have our being. So praise God that Jesus has not only created us, but that he sustains us. And one of the, the things that is so incredible about creation, when you sit back and look and you read the full complement of Scripture, of all the things that Jesus created, the thing that he is the most pleased with, the thing that he is the most proud of, the thing that is the pinnacle of creation is humanity. Humans are the pinnacle of creation. And the way I know that and can say that confidently to you is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God says to the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us create man in our image. So the Bible says he created them, both male and female, in his likeness. And what that means is that God has given us his likeness, his image. And last week we talked about how God shares his image with us. There are attributes of God that he shares with us so that we can know what he's like but he shares his likeness with us, which means we're the pinnacle of creation because there's nothing else in creation that shares God's image. The mountains, the streams, the rivers, the beautiful sunsets, the beach that many of us are just longing to get away to this summer. All those things are awesome, but they don't share God's likeness. We do, which makes us distinct and unique. But it also means that God, the creator, has given us his likeness. So as a creator, when you create something and you give the thing you created your image... It means I am proud to be associated with this thing. I want you to know that I'm in relationship with this thing. And God has given us, each human, dignity and worth and value and significance because we exist. Because we exist, our lives have dignity and worth or value because we're created in the likeness of God. Now, this doesn't just mean Christians. This means everybody. So if Christians are reading this, we've been created in the image of God, in his likeness. The Latin word there is the, the imago Dei, the image of God. That matters for us. That's true for us. It's true for other people, too, whether they acknowledge the one true God or not. Now, in my neighborhood, 
I can look around or walk the dog or stand out there and water the lawn, and I see people from all types of backgrounds. I have a neighbor who's Korean. I have a neighbor who's Albanian. I have a neighbor who's African. I have a neighbor who's Brazilian. There are Americans in my neighborhood. There are Brazilians. There are Africans in our neighborhood. There are Asians. There are Latin Americans. I could go on and on about the different races and the different ethnicities that are represented in my neighborhood. And do you know what? They're all created in the image of God. Every woman, man, and child on this planet is created in the likeness of God, and they are deserving of dignity and worth. Now listen, what happened in the fall in the Garden of Eden, God created humans perfect. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they didn't get sick. They didn't didn't have allergies and pollen like every 100% of us in Nashville. Like They didn't deal with those things. They didn't get sick. They didn't have baggage in relationships until the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And what happened when sin entered into the world is it distorted our ability to see the image of God in other people. It distorted our ability to see the image of God in other people. So you're going to see this. You're going to see it on social media today. You're going to see it in the news. You're going to see it on TV. You're going to see it in the media. Oftentimes people make fun of, ridicule, criticize, judge, or are mean to people that are other than them. We make fun of, we laugh at. I'm talking about humanity. We poke at, and oftentimes we, or, or at a minimum, we're not mean, but we put up just our, our barriers and we step back and insulate ourselves from what is other than us, what is different than us. And the Bible tells us that every person has been created in the image of God. And what I see when I walk out in my neighborhood is an opportunity, and I, I try to be intentional, but it's an opportunity to hold up the value of the image of God and the likeness of God in others and to help them understand you're created in Christ Jesus. You are created by him, rather, for a unique purpose. And when I look at all the creativity, it, it points me back to the creator. When I look at the diversity in, on our planet and the creativity, it points me back to how incredible our God, the creator, is. Now, I don't know what the most incredible created thing you have seen is. I don't know what the most incredible created thing is on this planet that you've seen. But I will forever, for the rest of my life, as long as I keep my sanity, I will never forget the day in Florence, Italy, I turned to the corner of the museum and laid eyes on the David. I will never forget seeing the David. I had heard people say, you got to see the David. The David's incredible. The David's incredible. you got to see it. But I stood there, and there were people just, they had been there for hours sketching it and journaling it. And there, there were people standing back, and there was a, a, a woman next to me and her husband from England. And she was like, he, he's incredible. Like, look at the muscle tone. And the, was he a farmer? And I thought, well, I know David from the Old Testament. He, he was a shepherd. She's like, oh, how did you know that? I'm like, well, I happen to be a pastor. And I just, you know, I, I've read that. And she's like, oh, wow, okay, well, let's quit talking. And she was just, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. She's like, I'm about to get evangelized over here. So, like, it, it was fine and cool. But, like, people, they just, they, like, Amy and I just stood there and looked at it. And i got to be honest with you. When you look at just, they didn't have power tools 500 years ago. And the proportions are so perfect. And the perspective is so spot on. And the veins in the hand And the length and the proportions of the muscles and the tendons are just so incredible that the more I looked at it, I I still thought about the sculpture, but I thought about Michelangelo. Like, who could make this? Like, he could see it out of a block of stone before it was even there. Only he alone could see it, but then he, he sculpted it. And how could he do it in this finite way over time, the patience and the crafting and the sculpting to bring about something that is so unique and so beautiful and so awe-inspiring that it points people back to how incredible Michelangelo is? 
Then a few years later, I went to the museum in London. I saw a piece of artwork of him by him. It was a bowl of fruit. That's it. It's a bowl of fruit on the table, and it looks like you could reach out and grab it. I'm like, I want to try that. It looks lush. It looks good. And I just told the Lord, Lord, it's not cool. Like, I, I, I struggle with ninth grade algebra. How come this guy can sculpt, and he can paint, and he can do it all? It's just not fair. And then I had to repent of, like, telling the Lord it wasn't fair. But the point is, the longer I looked at the artwork or the sculpture, the more I thought about the creator, how beautiful, how creative, how intelligent. And when you think about humanity, listen, it was God who thought through and envisioned what he alone could see. And it was the son who brought about humans created in the image of God. And we are imagers of God. And when we look at how beautiful the mind is and how intricate the body is and and humanity itself, it points back to the reality that there is a creator and there are the created and that Jesus, because he's before all creation, I don't know if you saw that here, Jesus in verse 70 is before all creation. That means he existed before creation. He is distinct and outside of creation. And he has created us so that we can point back to the God who made us. And the thing that makes that very unique and distinct from other world religions is God is not part of creation. There are world religions that believe that the trees or the mountains or the streams or buildings or other things, they are God. But that's, that's pantheism and other beliefs. Like God is distinct. He is above. He is outside. He is transcendent above creation. And so what that means is he has created us uniquely with dignity and worth. And we get to spend our lives discovering what that means for our own lives, but holding up and valuing the dignity and the worth of others, being their advocates and calling out the Imago Day in others. That is part of what the Lord is. I mean, that's what this team's going to Central America to do. That's what the women and men that are in Cambodia, Phnom Penh this morning from our church are doing. They are calling out. They are advocating for. They are holding up and defending the Imago Day in other humans. So we get to do that as a church. That's our mission. And it's incredible to let people know, do you know who you are because you share God's likeness? But in Christ in Christ, when you, when you know his son, when you meet Jesus and you place your faith in him, then you discover your identity and why you're here. Like Jesus can answer why you're here. He can answer that question in ways that nobody else on the planet can answer. Why am I here? What's my purpose? We get to do that as a church because of what Paul's telling us here, and because of the reality of who God is. But one of the most incredible things is we get to continue not only doing that, but we get to worship God for his incredible attributes and his character and his nature. And we get to acknowledge to him that you are outside of creation. There's no one like you. So therefore, because there's the created and the created and you're transcendent above all this, that means we can enjoy this life. But this life is not all there is. There's more than what you can just physically see. There's a God who knows you. There's a God who made you. There's a God who loves you. Other world religions and other beliefs might teach this is it. Consume and enjoy. This is it. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is it. And for many of us who've lived that life, whether it be for a, a few years or a few months or maybe one decision here and there that consumed and enjoyed, it might have satisfied us for a little bit, but it couldn't last. It couldn't be sustained. And, and even further, many of us, we've consumed and enjoyed what this world has to offer, and we realize, like, it's, it's all right, but, like, it leaves something to be desired. And the reality of God being before all things and holding all things together and wanting you to be in relationship with him is that he can answer that question why you're here and satisfy you in a way that nothing else can. Not only for this life, but the life to come. That's why Paul says Jesus is worthy of our worship. 
He has brought you into existence. He's given you his image. He has given you a purpose, and you're here to reflect his image and point people towards how good he is and also introduce them to the Imago Dei that is imprinted upon their life because they're created in his likeness, but also so that they might find a relationship with Jesus. I quit reading in verse 17 just a moment ago when I read publicly, but verse 19 says God was pleased to have all of himself dwell in Jesus. That he sent Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, he was pleased to have all of his godness, all of his divinity, all of his perfection poured into, dwelt in Jesus so that Jesus could lay down his perfect life on the cross and offer it as a payment for the brokenness and the sinfulness of an imperfect people. And by doing that and us placing our faith in him could reconcile us to a good God who made us, knows us best, and loved us most. That's why God was pleased to not only create all things, but then to send Jesus as the Savior of the world. And he's worthy of our worship, if for no other reason than that. So one of the things we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge that there is a God and his name is Jesus. He's unlike any other God or purported God. There are no others. But he's also worthy of our worship because he's given us his likeness. What a compliment. What a privilege that he said, I want to give my likeness to you. But we also get a chance to image him, to point other people to him. And so right now, I also want you to think about where is God calling you to reflect the Imago Dei? Where is God calling you to hold up and value the image of God, not only in you, but in others? Do you have a coworker or a neighbor who needs to know your life has dignity? It matters. You are significant. And in Christ, you can find everything that you've been after. How many of us have a family friend or a child or a parent that we want them to know, listen, you, you are chasing after approval or satisfaction in this life, and it cannot be found apart from Christ. But in Christ, you can find all of these things. Who in your life needs to know they're created in the image of God? And who in your life needs to see that in a way in your life where they can trust God as well? Let me invite you to do this. Let's uh, bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment.